blessing for me to be here with all of you. Sabah al khair, we would say in Jordan, good morning. And it's been, I think, two years I came to this pulpit, to this church, and I feel part of Dropping's family and from Grace here at Community Church. And it's just so beautiful for me to be one more time with you. And I really praise the Lord for that. We have so many great news about what God is doing in the Middle East. Since last time, the ministry is advancing, the fruits are coming, and the team is growing, and our family in Jordan uh, is waiting you to come and join us also and visit us there. In a couple weeks, we'll have Pastor Neil bringing nine young men to serve with us, together with other people that will be coming from all over the world. We'll have 45 people staying at our guest house, serving with us, joining hands in what God is doing in that place, and I hope you can be the next one. I brought a little gift for the church here, so this was done by our Iraqi refugees, so you can remember to pray for Jordan, Pastor Neil, thank you so much, and if you want to check some other stuff there, you see some little wallets, and there, I think there's one more about, uh, of these flags, you can bless the refugee ladies that we are serving. They did this, and all the profits, all the money goes to bless their families. So if you're interested, you can see there behind. And the team is coming to be with us, so if you want to buy other stuff, the ladies are doing, they have about 30 different pieces that they produce. So if you'd like to bless them, you can speak with Neil, you can check our Facebook, Instagram, and all the stuff and see the other pieces. But I'm here this morning with my heart full of joy of being with Ronnie and Caroline one more time. They're like our parents. They pray for us. They love us. We love them. We pray for them. And to be also with you here, it's really amazing. So I just want uh, to open a text with you. So if you can go with me to John, we'll read a few verses from chapter 10 and then from chapter 11. And while I'm sharing something that God brought to me, and this week to share with you, we'll see some testimonies and understand better our reality in Middle East and what God is doing. So let's open John chapter 10. We'll read first from 31 to 33. And it says, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So go with me now to verse 39. It's chapter 10. It says, Again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So now you pass to next chapter, and we read from 11, 5 to 17. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews, they there tried to stone you. And yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by their world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. 
His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go with, to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Amazing words. If you ask any Christian about the apostle Thomas... People will always mention that testimony after Jesus' resurrection that he said that he would only believe that Jesus was raised up from the dead if he would touch his hurts. Everyone knows that story and everyone will share it when you ask anything about Thomas. But uh, that's not where his story finishes or even began. And I was speaking one day with Cesar. You probably remember Cesar. He came, stayed here a few months. And he was telling me about a few things, and I was sharing about others. And then he told me, oh, Matthew, have you ever read that text from John? And then I went to read the text, and I was so amazed with the testimony of that man. And then I went to look for more about him, and I discovered that Thomas, he's, he was one of the most important missionaries that we ever had. We always listen a lot about the Apostle Paul. I like so much him, I'm all my... Uh, researches and my stuff on the Bible college was about him. But when I started to read about Thomas, I was so impressed about this man that is really loving his neighbors to the very end. And if this is the topic that you are now at this moment seeing, this guy is the best example we could get. He, see, in that text, said a few amazing things that will go through it. But if you look after Jesus' resurrection and after after that experience, you see that he started to preach the gospel through all over Israel. And then he was obeying the prophetic world and coming up uh, not only to preach to the Jews, but also preaching to the Gentiles to the point that he went to Syria. And he started to preach the gospel there. And while he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit brought him even more far to India. So we have an Indian guy here, uh, Reuben can confirm that to us. And he started to preach the gospel from north to south. And he was coming village by village by village, sharing the gospel as the first transcultural missionary, sharing the gospel to a group with another religion, another culture, another language. Amazing man of God, suffering persecution, suffering so many different challenges. And when he was in a certain village, a Hindu group came close to him. He was preaching to them. And one of the guys grabbed um, like a, a steak or I don't know how to say it in English. Grabbed something and then came closer to him and just killed him with that. And Thomas died preaching the gospel in India. There is a church in India uh, to honor him. They say that his tomb is still there. But Thomas gave his life preaching the gospel. Wow. And then I went to understand better the context of the text that we just read in, in John, it was so amazing. Let's see a little bit more about that also. First, Jesus, he was preaching in Jerusalem. We saw there in chapter 10. It was during the festival of dedication. Uh, and the Pharisees, 
that they were Jesus' opponents, and all the religious people of his time, they were there, and they got really mad because Jesus was preaching the gospel so boldly in that moment, and they wanted to kill him, stone him. Somehow we saw Jesus manage to flee, and then he went, you know where? To Jordan. The text says that in chapter 10, he went closer to the river, he crossed the river to where today is Jordan, and then he stayed there fleeing from his life and because of the preaching of the gospel. Let me tell you something. Jordan is one of the countries, even today, where you can find more refugees than any other place in the world. We have three million refugees if you count Palestinians, Egyptians, if you count Iraqi, Syrians, minorities from Africa, three million. And many of them, like Jesus, today they are people that they are fleeing because of the preaching of the gospel, because they are living the gospel. But Jesus was there in Jordan in the safe context, in the safe place with his disciples. And then suddenly he got a message that one of his best friends, Lazarus, that used to live in a village called Bethany, close to Jerusalem, was very sick and would die. What Jesus did? Nothing. He said, no, I will stay here a little bit longer. What happened with Lazarus? Died. Then Jesus looked to the disciples and said, now we need, let's go, let's go back. And then the disciples, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. We were just there close to Bethany in Jerusalem, and those guys, they were trying to kill you, to stone you, and you want to go back to that very dangerous area to leave the safety of Jordan and go to that place? Wow. Jesus saw that they were not understanding anything, so then he brought them an image, and he started to say something very simple. When you are walking and you have the sunlight, you don't stumble. But when there is no light and you are walking, you can stumble and fall. That's very simple, right? Like today we have lights all over, but at that time we had no electricity. So can you imagine? Without light you would stumble, with light you would not. It's very simple. What Jesus wanted to say with those words to the disciples. See, Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet. A light on my path. The word of God is for us like a light that will guide us through the darkness of this world so we can see the way and fulfill God's will. Jesus was trying to say to the disciples, it is God's will for us to go to that very dangerous place to see a miracle happening, Lazarus being resurrected. They couldn't believe that a man could come to life again. So when Jesus started to explain, they thought that he was saying that he was asleep and he would woke up, wake up. But Jesus was trying to say no, and then he was clear, Lazarus is dead, and we need to go there to fulfill God's will. It doesn't matter the danger that we'll face, because that's what he wants to do, glorify his name through the resurrection of that man. It's in Jesus, you know, himself, he's the light for us, he said in John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light, and he just wanted his disciples to follow him. It doesn't matter the consequences. Live in the comfort zone of being there in Jordan and going to whatever dangerous places they would be to f- fulfill God's will. And then we come back to our story. Jesus is speaking to the disciples 
And in the middle of them, Thomas stands and then he says, Okay, Jesus, I'm with you. And then he looks to the disciples and he says, Let us also go that we may die with him. He was not saying about Lazarus. He was saying about Jesus. Let us also go and die with, with Jesus if it's necessary. Wow. <laughs> when I read those words and I understood their real meaning, that broke my heart and I started to rethink so many things. And I just want to share a few things with you. But a, a question came to my heart that was really so strong. To what point... Are we really willing to follow God's will? To what point are you willing to love your neighbor? It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter the circumstances, how dangerous it can be, or whatever. To what point are we willing to follow God's will? That question, I could not let it go from my heart. And then I went back to the text, and I found a few answers. And the first one is that we can learn here in this text that there are people that they only follow God when it interests them. If the question is to what point they are willing to follow His will, only when it's good for them, only when it pleases them, only when it interests them. And it's easy to see here in the text. It's just to make, we can make a contrast between Jesus and the disciples, see, it was the Hanukkah, the fast of dedica- feast of dedication. All the crazy people, the terrorists of Jesus' time, the religious guys that could kill him, they were there gathered in Jerusalem, and he started to preach the gospel to them in such a boldly way that when he asked them, to, why you want to stone me? Why you want to kill me? It's to, because of which good things I'm doing, which charity work I'm doing, which good deeds I'm, I'm doing. They said, Jesus, no, it's not because of the good things you are doing, but because of what you say, because you say a blasphemy, because you say you are the son of God. Go and read the text. You see that Jesus was very bold in his preaching to the point that they understood the core message that he was the Messiah, he was the Son of God. He didn't care there was the religious Hanukkah. He just preached the gospel in a very, very strong way. It's the same. I, I have baptized now dozens of Muslims that they came to Christ. And it's the same I get one of my disciples. And then I sent him to Saudi Arabia, there in Mecca, during the pilgrimage that every Muslim has to do once a year, during Ramadan, the most religious period that they have during the year where they are fasting. And then I sent him there in the middle of, you know, the, Ka- the Kaaba, the, the black box, and then where they are all there. And then I asked this disciple of mine to stand and then scream, Jesus is God. What will happen with him? Tell me. He'll be killed. That was almost what happened with Jesus. He was there during one of the most important feasts. And he preached the gospel in the way they understood. He was saying he was God. He was not caring about the dangers. The dangers. He was just fulfilling God's will. The disciples, by other hand, 
when Jesus came to them and said, let's go back to that area. They said, well, what, wait, Jesus, are you crazy? They were just trying to kill you there right now and you want to go back? They wanted the gospel without sacrifice, without commitment, without pain, without cross. When we know that the gospel of Jesus will involve all of that and much more. Yes, there are blessings and so many beautiful things. But to what point you and I, we are willing to fulfill God's will. It will not be easy. But if we are following the light that is Jesus himself and willing to pay, it doesn't matter the cost because it's a privilege to be participants of the sufferings of Jesus. Definitely he will be with us in the journey. And that's what we started to feel ourselves. Because we started the ministry in Jordan and praise God, we are seeing every day so many miracles there. But since the beginning, God was calling us also to Iraq to the center of all the mess there. And I've been so close to ISIS many times. I put myself in very dangerous situations. I, in one of my trips, I was 800 meters from the militants. I could see the flags and everything. Escorted by the militias. I went there to pray in the very place where they were fighting three days a week because we felt that we needed to stand as a church in, that, in those areas that nobody is going because that's what Jesus wants us to do. To what point are we willing to follow him? And then in those trips, we started to see God moving people in hearts and situations that are leading today for us to plant a church in Iraq. That I will say a few words about that now. In the last, one of the last trips, I went to the village when the... Um, Government just released the, the village and they allowed people to start coming back. I went to one of the churches there. This is one of the churches in Karakosh, one of the villages. And I could see the destruction that ISIS left. You see Deborah? And this was one of the biggest churches in the Christian villages around Mosul in Iraq. A few weeks ago, I was walking in Mosul streets. I took these pictures there. You can see the destruction. You can see the ruins of what ISIS did in that land. There were about 125,000 Christians living there. And because of the persecution from the terrorists, they had to flee and they left everything behind. Many of them, when they woke up, they were business people, teachers, doctors, people like you and I. And they woke up and they saw the sign at that door at the doors of their houses. I took this picture. This is a house of one of the refugees that we are supporting. And one day he woke up, saw the symbol, meaning that he would have only three options. He could become a Muslim and everything would be okay. He could pay a tax to the terrorists, taking risks of having his family kidnapped and abused and maybe even suffering death. Or he could flee and leave everything behind. This family, they left. This picture I took from Bartala, one of the villages, the place where we are planting the church. And this family lost everything to keep following Jesus to the very end. And now, recently, they received a message that they could come back. But when they came back home, this is what they found. 
the coalition bombed the house, killing the terrorists, that when I took this picture were probably still under the ruins of the house, as many other places I've been to. They lost everything when they fled. They come back to the village now with nothing in their pockets one more time. But they are willing to keep following Jesus. It doesn't matter the cost. In one of the houses, and I found this thing written, and I started to see that most families coming back in that period, they were doing the same. If Isis was putting that symbol that was the noon to classify the Christians for the persecution, Christians, when they started to come back to houses in rooms without anything inside because they stole everything, all the destruction, no school, no electricity, no water, all the things that you can find in places after war, they started to write in their walls, Jesus is with us. This is teaching us that they are willing to follow Jesus to the very end, not only when it's good for them, not only when it interests them. One of the refugees that lost everything, he had his house, he's still in ruins there in Iraq. But when he discovered that his village was released, instead of deciding to come back or to do anything, he came to me and Deborah and he said, I will give to you my house if you plant a church, if you start serving my people there. And he gave us the house. This is his house, August last year. I had no money in my pocket to do anything with the house. And in a few months, God provided miraculously $15,000, and we already finished the first part of the restoration. And in the first service that we did in the house, and we'll see the video now, I went there. We had no electricity, no water. We had no toilet, and the house was full with uh, cracks. So when I got there in the Sunday morning, Deborah and I, we were afraid to bring people because we didn't know what could happen if we would put people in the house. But we decided that uh, we would do our first service in August last year. We visited 54 families in three days, giving them food baskets and helping them because they were the first ones to come back to the village. And we invited them for that service on the Sunday morning. We came to the house and we started to clean all the glasses from the windows that they were broken in the floor. We took some of the furniture that was they, it completely destroyed. We cleaned and we turned into uh, places so they could sit into my pulpit. And then we did there the service in the middle of that house. But we were expecting maybe 10, 20, 15 maybe people. But at the end, between adults and children, in that first service, we had 160 people. People walking two hours to come to the service. Elderly people, women with children, coming in that crazy sun of Iraq, 50-something degrees. To what point are we willing to follow God's will? Let's see the video. Paz do Senhor, aqui é o pastor Homero da família Aziz. Eu estou em Bartala, nas proximidades de Mosul, aqui no Iraque. Hoje é dia 28 de fevereiro e eu gostaria de compartilhar com vocês o milagre que Deus está fazendo neste lugar. Estamos em frente do que será a primeira igreja evangélica de toda essa região. O meu coração queima por esse lugar desde janeiro de 2015, quando eu visitei aqui essas proximidades, ainda quando os terroristas do Estado Islâmico dominavam todos esses vilarejos.
Deus nos deu esta propriedade. E eu pude visitar este lugar em agosto do ano passado com a minha família. Assim que essa região foi liberada dos terroristas e os primeiros cristãos começaram a voltar para suas casas. Nós realizamos um culto aqui e foi uma grande bênção. Mais de 160 pessoas estiveram reunidas nesta propriedade. Hoje, menos de um ano depois, nós reformamos a casa do jeitinho que nós temos sonhado em ver em breve esse lugar, servindo essa comunidade. Além das atividades da igreja, esse espaço será usado como um centro comunitário para atender as diferentes necessidades da igreja sofredora e dos cristãos espalhados por esse lugar. Faça parte do que Deus está fazendo hoje aqui no Iraque. Aqui estão os nossos contatos e nós ficaremos felizes de receber a sua mensagem. Vamos juntos servir a igreja sofredora e avançar com o reino de Deus neste lugar. So praise God. And we are preparing a guest room there. We'll have also a guest house in Iraq. So let's see in the future who here will be courageous to come with us. <laughs> Neyu will join me, I know. <laughs> Uh, so then this leads us to a, a second point. If the question is to what point are we willing to follow God's will, we know that there will always be people only willing to follow when it interests them. But there are also those that will follow God's will because only they feel obligated to without any love in doing it. And the very best example in the text are the Pharisees. You see, they were the extremists of Jesus' time, following their interpretations of God's will in a very strict way, and everything should be done exactly as they thought it was God's will. So they had so many laws and regulations, and their manual of life had so many guidelines of all, for all things for the daily life, how you should dress, how you should eat, how you should... Uh, wash your hands, how you should pray, how everything, even how God should act, trying to put him inside a box, the box of religion. And we know that the Pharisees, as those that would follow them, they were only doing what they were doing because of religion. But you know, brother and sister, God, he's teaching us about grace and relationship and not about just following laws and regulations. Jesus was God himself. And they, through his preaching, understood what he was trying to say, but they rejected him because they were only following the rules and the laws of the religion. And today we cannot follow Christianity as a religion, but we need to follow Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if we do anything without love, if we pray, we fast, we come to church, if we give our tithes and offerings, if you help drop in ministry, if you work with children, if you help the poor, if you go on missions, if you go to Jordan, whatever you do, if it's just to follow laws and regulations and rules, and if it is not based on this relationship full of love between you and God, 
you are not pleasing him. And when we look to Thomas' statement, the researchers, they will say that we can have at least three interpretations of what he said. And the first one is that he thought that Lazarus' death was only symbolic and that Jesus was trying to teach them something spiritual there, like he did so many times that we have to die for ourselves, that we have to be born again. So many different things in his journey with Jesus he learned in terms of his spiritual teachings. So maybe he was thinking, Jesus is trying to teach me something spiritual here. And then when he says, let us also go and die with him, he was not saying in a literal way. If this is right, and I hope it's not, Thomas was acting exactly like the Pharisees, that they would think that they would know God's will, but they were so far from it. How many times we are acting the same way of like the Pharisees? We think that we know God's will, but in fact it's just religion. But there is a second interpretation of Thomas that also is not nice. And it says that he was being ironic, sarcastic. I hope it's not. He was trying to say, yeah, let's die with Jesus. We told him it's it's dangerous. We told him we can die there. We are already speaking to him. Let's, Let's not go there. But you know, he's our master. He's the rabbi. So he's saying, so what to do? Let's go and die with him. Wow. Ah, I don't want to, to pray, but let's pray. Oh, one more missionary coming to the church. I hate when they do, does that. <laughs> what to do? Have to go. Oh, I have to give my tithes. I have to give offerings because if not, people are looking to me, so they will be speaking about me. So let's do it. Oh, I have to do this work in the church because if not, people, what people will think about me? It's the same feeling, just moved by this obligation, empty of God's love. Let's go and die with Jesus. What to do? He's our master. But there is a third interpretation that leads us to amazing teaching. If the question is to what point are we willing to follow God's will, there will always be people that they only do when it interests them, when they will get money, healing, when they will be fine, when they will be okay, happy. There will always be those that will do it only because of obligation, religion. Always be among Jesus' disciples, people like that. But there is a group of people that they answer the question in the right way. They are willing to follow God's will to the very end. And I know you are these guys. So I will ask you, to what point are you willing to follow Jesus' will? And you answer me to the very end. Amen? So to what point are you willing to follow God's will? Amen. You are not saying to me. You are saying to God. (laughs) Yeah, there's this group. And the third interpretation of Thomas is related to that. But I think we need to first look to Jesus himself. Because he is our example of someone that is willing to love the neighbor and to do what is necessary. It doesn't matter the consequences. 
Jesus, he said in John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of who sent me. Of him who sent me. So you see, every single second, minute, hour, day, month, year of Jesus' life was to do God's will. And to the point that he even said in John 4, 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. His relationship with God was such an amazing relationship that his food was to do God's will. Let's understand that. You know, when you and I, we are hungry, and I cannot be hungry in Northern Ireland. I don't know why. But every minute, people are feeding me and giving me food here. But when you are hungry, when you feel you need to eat, you have this desire, this willingness, this you need to eat. You, I need to eat. And Jesus was trying to say, the only thing that fulfilled this desire that I have inside me is to do God's will. What is the best food in Northern Ireland? The most delicious food? Huh? Fish and chips? Yeah, I had yesterday. Fried. Chinese fried. <laughs> Let's say fish and chips. Jesus was trying to say, my fish and chips, after a long trip, many months uh, uh, far from Northern Ireland, probably you are desiring fish and chips after all, a long trip, it's to do God's will. Nothing would satisfy his desire. That's why when he was in the desert, remember, in the temptation, the first one, Satan comes to him and says, oh, are you hungry? Of course, Jesus was hungry, 40 days without eating. Then he looks to the stone and said, please, so make this stone, like transform it into bread so you can satisfy this desire. But what was Jesus' answer? Can somebody tell me? Yeah. That's the only thing. The Bible he's, it will teach us to fulfill God's will. So to know God's will and do it is the only thing that can satisfy us. And there are people looking on religions. There are people looking on churches. There are people looking in so many different places. This only thing that they can find in Jesus, this satisfaction that can only be really found in Him, finding Him. There's no other way. Jesus, He said, John 5, 19, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So it was this connection so perfect that he would see God doing and then he would do. That's what he wants for you and I. And because he decided to fulfill God's will to the very end, he had to pay a very difficult and high price. He was imprisoned. He was betrayed, he was beaten, he was judged, he was hurt, he was tortured, he was crucified, and he was killed. And it's good to remember when he was there at the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You and I, we don't deserve God's grace. But he said, Lord, your will be done. And that's what he taught us even in our Heavenly Father prayer, right? It's not your will, 
but it's God's will. In Jesus, he gave us the best example. Lazarus was one of his best friends. But because he knew God had a plan, he didn't did anything. And that man suffered. That man cried. Maybe he was bleeding. He was in a very difficult moment with pain and diet without Jesus doing anything because he wanted to obey God. And when he gets to Bethany, even with the persecution, the fear of the disciples, he gets to that place, he sees all the suffering from the family, his friends. He looks to the tomb, and what Jesus did, the smallest verse verse in the Bible, Jesus cried, wept. He could do something before, but he didn't because he wanted to obey God's will. And then, because he was faithful in obeying the Father, he looked to the tomb and the miracle after he gave thanks happened. That man resurrected. Some people, they want resurrection without cross. There's no shortcut, brother. If you and I, we want to see the glory of the resurrection, we need to be ready to carry our crosses daily. And in the journey to follow the light that is Jesus Christ, trusting that he's walking with us every single step. So Thomas looked to the disciples. And in the third interpretation, and I want to believe this is the one, he looks to them and he says, okay, it's dangerous, brothers. It's, maybe it will be difficult. Maybe they will try to kill Jesus. Maybe they will try to kill us. But let us also go and die with Jesus in a literal way. I want to believe he was being literal. Because when we look to his life years later, we see that he died because he was willing to follow him to the very end. To what point are we willing to follow God's will? I want to finish with a few testimonies from Egypt. We are working now. Since we came to Middle East, we started to work with the Cop Church. We, had, we have this passion to support specifically Christians in Egypt that are uh, related to martyrdom and all of this. Because it's so difficult to be a Christian in Egypt. And last year in April, I don't know if you saw, there's a group of 35 Christians. They were in a bus going to a prayer retreat when, unfortunately, in the way, they were caught by a terrorist group in Egypt that started to shoot the bus to kill them. 28 Christians died in that morning last year. Deborah, she took the first flight and went to Egypt to be with the relatives the widows, the orphans, to visit the church and have a few meetings with the leadership. We establish a partnership, and we are supporting eight families from the martyrs. And Deborah is doing an amazing work there. We, op- we just opened three small businesses with some of these families. And in one of the houses, she met this little boy. And his father and mother were in the bus And they were both shot and killed. He was playing in the corridor when the shots started to happen. And this little boy was shot in his arm. 
and he fell down. And then the body of his dead father came over him, together with the body of other Christians from the bus. And he was under the bodies. The terrorists entered in the bus and he started to kill the survivors, killing women, children. But they didn't kill the boy because he was hidden below his dead father. In another house, Deborah entered and she saw five kids from a few months to five year, to eight years old. And these five kids, they were there, and both father and mother, they were in the bus. They led the children with the grandparents, and both of them were killed inside the bus, leaving five children orphans. But the most amazing story that I want to finish with it is the story of Nadia, this lady close to Deborah. She was sitting at the back of the bus. And this lady, she was with almost her whole family inside the bus. And then she started to see all the shootings. And many of her relatives were killed in the shooting. And then the terrorists entered in the bus. And they started to shoot some of the others that they survived. In that day, this lady lost eight of her relatives. And Nadja kept strong, seeing the relatives being killed. The terrorists came close to her. They shot her in her two legs and then in her belly. She saw her husband being killed. She saw her brother being killed. She saw her son being killed. She saw her daughter-in-law being killed, carrying a two-year's baby in her arms. Both were killed plus other three relatives. She saw all of that. And the terrorists started to hear that the police was, they were coming, and they decided to flee. That was when they shot her, the last shot in her belly. But they allowed her to be there, bleeding to die. And she was looking all that scene, the terrorists fleeing. She was looking all those relatives and all those friends from the church dead inside the bus. And then this lady started to cry out the name of Jesus, Yeshua, 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 when suddenly Jesus appeared inside the bus. He started to walk towards her. She was sitting at the back. She was crying out his name, Jesus, 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 and he was coming to her. It was real, and she was seeing him. Other survivors were there. She was the only having that vision in that moment. And Jesus was coming very close to her. She was bleeding. She was in pain. She was traumatized. She couldn't control her emotions. And she was crying out Jesus' name. He came very close to her. He looked to her. She was sitting there. And he told her, Nadia, be calm. I'm here. He said only these words. Immediately, she felt a peace that she cannot describe. All the pain was gone, but she was still bleeding. And that woman looked to Jesus. Jesus looked to her. And they were looking at each other for a few moments. And then Jesus disappeared. And she was the one that got the phone and called for the emergency to come. She was taken to the hospital. They did a very bad surgery. The Muslims there she almost died because of the infection. Then they took her to another city 
few weeks after, and then she was treated. They, they redid the surgery. And this woman that was shot three times, that saw all her relatives, they died in front of her. She survived by a miracle. So you and I could today know that if we are willing to follow God's will to the very end, be sure that he is with you. So Jesus is telling you now, become, I'm here. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know your challenges. I don't know your struggles. I don't know your needs. I don't know maybe your blessings, your victories. But I want to tell you in this morning that for everyone that is willing to go to the very end and to say, Jesus, I'm willing to die if it's necessary. Because you died for me first. Because there is no greater love than to die for a friend. And Jesus is the best friend we can get. Because there is nothing better to walk this journey with him, even in the middle of suffering. He is with you all the time. He said in Matthew 28, 20, I'm with you to the very end of the ages. And he said that he would be always with us. And if we are gathering his name, he's there. Do you believe Jesus is here now? So close your eyes. Lord, we know that you are here. And we just want to worship you and to Give all the praise that only you deserve, Lord. We are so happy to be in this place because you are here. And there is no better place to be than together with you, Lord, in your presence. So thank you so much because you are giving us this privilege. We are here, Lord, representing different cultures, different nations. But as the body of Christ, united with you, Lord, we are just one family, and as a family, we rejoice now to be in your presence. Jesus, be glorified in this day. And I just want to ask that you help us, every one of us here, Lord. It doesn't matter if it is, Lord, fulfilling your will, going to the very end in places like we are in Middle East, or, in, Lord, here in Northern Ireland, in our houses, in the schools, in the university, whatever you bring us. Jesus, we just want to ask that you help us to be faithful. Not to serve you and to do your will only when it interests us. But, Lord, to go to the very end. Not because of religious, Lord, principles and rules and laws. But with a love, Lord, that comes from you first. But, Lord, enables us to love our neighbors. And, Lord, to do whatever it's necessary to fulfill your will. Help us to glorify your name, Lord. In, in this time now, may you use us, Lord, to, Lord, as instruments to bring the message like you did, like Thomas did, like so many are doing around the world. It doesn't matter the consequences. In Jesus' name we pray.